hi everyone. Thanks for joining us again for this episode of Public Service Psychology Now, Division 18's podcast series to keep members abreast of our division activities. We're your hosts, Jen Snyder and Tiffany Finnell, and we are continuing our interviews with former presidents of Division 18 as part of our 75th anniversary celebration. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Linda Richardson, president of Division 18 from 2017 to 2018. So a little bit about Dr. Richardson. Her career has been devoted to working with individuals with serious mental illness in correctional and mental health settings of all kinds, outpatient, community, and, and inpatient. In more recent years, she's been a manager of such programs. And in the last 10 years, her managerial duties have included hiring and supervising individuals with lived experience, also known as peer specialists. She is currently working as a consultant. Fun fact, in addition to being a clinical psychologist, Dr. Richardson is also a master's level psychiatric nurse. So she's always had a focus on both the physical and emotional well-being of the people she serves. Well, Dr. Richardson, thanks so much for being with us today and telling us about your presidential term. Appreciate it. Oh, we had a pretty um, active year, the year I was president. Um, I had two presidential initiatives. Um, the first was focused sort of on the division internally, and that was I had discovered when I was um, elected president-elect that there was no job description for president-elect or any other position in the division. So I took on the task of organizing and in many cases writing job descriptions for all the positions within the division. Um, and some of that was started in a strategic planning meeting, but it really probably went on for a couple of years. Um, the outcome was we did develop job descriptions for every single position within the division. And it was certainly a task that we never intended to be over once these descriptions were uh, written initially, because I think it was very clear that the roles um, of many of the positions in the division change and the duties along with it. So we were very pleased to put together job descriptions. And I think the intent um, was that these be reviewed um, hopefully annually by people who are in the positions to make sure that they in fact reflect what the current uh, role and responsibilities of those positions are and to make any changes um, that are needed. Um, the second initiative um, came out of discussions that I had been involved in um, over the years uh, while on EC committee and probably even before that, where um, frequently people would talk about, oh, I have this great idea that I would like to um, research or a program I would like to start or a conference I would like to attend and I have no money for that. And so we got to talking about how could we have a permanent stream of funding to provide monies for special activities. Um, usually these um, kinds of requests would come up from students and ECPs. And at the time there was a process 
if you wanted to make a special request, um, you had a, to fill out a form and it went through a series of reviews within the division. But I think it was a process that was not well advertised and therefore rarely used. And I think, you know, members of the EC committee over the years were never quite sure, you know, what do we fund and what do we not fund? And, and should we even have in our budget a line item for this? So I think when I became president elect, there was the process for making these special requests, but there was no funding um, as a line item for such. So it was sort of like if the division had a little extra money and people um, put in requests that seemed legitimate would benefit the division, uh, then they were considered for funding. Um, and I had been around um, APA long enough that I was aware of the American Psychological Foundation and I was aware that a number of divisions had had similar concerns to ours about wanting to fund activities on a uh, permanent and ongoing basis. And the solution that several divisions had reached was to start a fund that would be managed by American Psychological Foundation. So during the time that I was president-elect and later president, we talked a great deal in the EC meetings about should we establish a fund? If so, who should manage it? Um, and what would we use it for? And after considerable deliberation, we decided that we would establish a fund and use American Psychological Foundation as the manager of the fund. We had talked about the idea of going privately and a couple of divisions had done that. But what we learned is that those divisions were depending heavily on a handful of financial savvy individuals in the division who, when they were no longer able to um, oversee it, um, were gonna create a real hole. Um, we also found that if we went to private money managers, they actually were gonna charge us far more than APF was going to and all they would do is literally manage the money. You know, they wouldn't give us reports or anything. All those services were seen as extras. So APF seemed like a good deal all the way around. And of course, also, you know, it is associated with our um, organization, APA. So we, the EC um, group approved moving forward with the APF fund and in order to start a fund, there are several requirements. And the big ones are that you have to raise $100,000 within five years. Now, how you raise it is up to you. I mean, there are a few limitations on it, but basically you can ask for individual donations. The division can just contribute all of the funding to it or some combo. And we decided to go with the combo. We committed the division to funding oh, I think about uh, 60 to 80% of it, and that we would try to get donations for the last 20%. So the fund was actually signed off on and approved by APF um, in the fall of 2018. And we're now in the fundraising process, which not surprisingly has been a big challenge. Of course, we weren't all planning on COVID either. So. Mm -hmm. um, so we are looking at 
um, trying to get this funded. Um, again, we have a deadline of five years. It would be nice if we could reach the deadline sooner because APF will not let you hand out money until you've reached uh, the goal of reach of uh, the 100,000 funding. Um, so I plan to have further discussions with the presidential trio and probably the EC about, you know, how do we move forward in our funding fundraising efforts so that we can get this funded. Um, once it is funded, then we will need to create a committee that will make the decisions as to who gets funded and for how much. And generally when you're starting out after you've reached the 100,000, um, APF lets you know how much money you can um, use to fund projects every year. And it basically just depends on how well the fund is doing, but APF uh, funds have done well. So usually you're throwing off, assuming no additional contributions of any size, somewhere between three to $5,000 a year. So that would be something the division could count on in terms of um, funding these special projects. So I'm very excited about that and can't wait till it's actually um, fully funded and ready to start um, giving out money. So those were the two um, big things. Um, but there were other things um, that uh, maybe aren't as significant, but uh, also important. Um, we updated the mission statement, and this is probably something that needs to happen um, frequently. It hadn't been done in a while, and it started out when Shirley Glenn was president, and then we continued to work on it when I was president. Um, we also updated the brochure for the division. That had not been done in years. And again, that's something that probably needs to be revisited periodically. Um, another thing we did is we um, moved the newsletter so that we were publishing it um, on our website. And that sounds like it would be a really simple uh, project. And it turned out to not be simple at all because it, the formatting that you have to use to post it on the website was not the formatting we were using. So that took some time to change formats, but it got done. And so we're very happy now that it's much more accessible to people um, than it was before. Um, also during that time, the journal revenues were growing and they've of course grown even more since then. And along with that, the journal was getting more submissions than ever before. And we found that we were getting a backlog of submissions that had been accepted but needed to be published. And we, as a EC group, approved adding pages to the journal in order to try to clear out some of the backlog. And, um, you know, APA journal staff were very helpful um, with this process. We had been told that whenever you um, add pages. This is, of course, costing the division money out of the revenues that the journal brings in. So basically, the APA journal staff said, you know, you're probably going to have a year or two of very low revenues because you're paying out more um, to um, publish the journal due to the increased length. But in the long run, you will earn more money because you're having more articles, you'll be cited more, there'll be more downloads, et cetera. Mm -hmm. 
So we were prepared for a couple of lean years, how wrong we were, despite the fact that the journal increased substantially in its length, the revenues continued to store. So that's been wonderful to see, very pleased about that. Um, another thing that we did, again, nothing very sexy, but um, we found when we were putting together financial reports, um, we had budget codes that really didn't fit what we needed. And I, I, it was another one of those uh, tasks that I think had not been uh, looked at in years. And so I took that on along with the uh, treasurer at the time, and we updated those budget codes. And again, it's probably something that needs to be looked at fairly often to make sure that do you have the right codes for budgeting um, items that you want to be able to report on and understand you know, where your money is going? And I think the, the code names were vague. We, nobody knew quite what should go under which code. And so um, it was very helpful to get those updated. And again, ongoing thing. And then lastly, um, we took what I think at the time people thought was a radical step, but boy, it seems like it's become institutionalized pretty quickly. Um, we had been holding the social hour at APA convention for years um, in an APA hotel or convention center. And typically our social hour follows you know, our division business meeting and presidential address. And of course it's easier just to do all of those things in one place. People don't have to go anywhere. Um, what we found um, the year I was president-elect and I was um, assisting with this, that the cost of holding the social hour in an APA facility were astronomical. The room itself was free, but the cost of refreshments was incredibly expensive. We had this reception, I'll never forget this when I was president-elect, and I think it was in DC and it was in one of the big hotels. And we had ordered some fabulous uh, appetizers for the reception. And when we looked at the cost, each appetizer, when you added in all of the fees that the hotels charge, you know, taxes and service, et cetera, $10 per appetizer. Oh my goodness. And we used the previous year's um, list of food and particularly the quantities to, because you're always guesstimating, you know, how much food should you order? And unfortunately in those venues, you can't in the middle of the reception say, hey, we need a little more. You know, you, you just have to have it all decided ahead. So we thought we had planned well, you know, again, based on previous years. And of course, obviously convention attendance varies, how many people come to the reception varies, et cetera. Well, we had so many attendees at the reception and our appetizers were so good, we ran out in an hour. And our reception was two hours. Oh goodness. So we thought, you know, we really wouldn't have wanted to spend a whole lot more money um, on food than we did. So we thought there's got to be another way. Mm -hmm. Well, when I had first been involved with the division many, many years back, I had recalled that our social hours were not held at APA. 
hotels. They were held in other venues. And I think it got changed, again, probably largely due to the convenience factor that I referred to earlier. So we thought, well, maybe we should think about holding our social hour um, in another venue where we can bring in the food and we have much more control over costs. So the year I was president, we were in San Francisco, what a great place to be president. And we chose to have our social hour at a small museum that I had never heard of in all the trips I've made to San Francisco was in the Tenderloin District called the Tenderloin Museum. And it was this small historic museum that put on events and we rented the entire place after they closed and we brought in food and drink and we had a fabulous reception. We worried about would people be willing to walk over there. It was about a 15 minute walk from the convention center, but people were and everybody loved it. So I think now um, I know my successors have followed that uh, tradition of having a reception outside mm -hmm. of an APA hotel. And I personally, I think it's great to get out of the hotels where you've probably been all day long and are sick and tired of. And we've gone to some really interesting locations um, and, you know, had fabulous food and drink and saved our division money. So um, it was an experiment the year that we tried it, but I think it worked well and we've continued with it. So that was um, a fun thing that we did um, that lives on. So I could go on, but I think that's enough. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's a lot um, of really substantial um, work, you know, that you did um, during your, your presidential term. I mean, while you say some things aren't sexy, like updating budget codes, they really do help the organization yes. fund so much smooth, more smoothly. And those behind the scenes things are really, you know, matter a lot. Um, and um, so, and I, I can attest to the newsletter uh, part when I was newsletter editor, this was before right. to, you know, moving online and yeah, it was, it was painful trying to figure out how to get that online. And, but I'm so happy that we are utilizing the web page now. Yes. For, but just like you said, it makes it more, so much more accessible. So yes, um, I think you're you'll have such a legacy. Uh, you know, I was thinking about um, in our you know this interview with you today. One of I think the lasting legacy, of course, the APF fund. But also some of these these other things like you know moving the social hour off site, <laughs> um, um, and just kind of just overall kind of I guess getting the the division more organized and and modernized too. So a lot of sheesh, a lot of stuff you did during the year. What do you feel most um, proud of as far as your accomplishments? Oh, I think probably, you know, the two initiatives that I mentioned the you know, getting job descriptions written and in place for all the uh, division positions, because it makes such a difference when you're trying to hold elections and people are wondering, well, what is it, you know, what does this position entail, et cetera? Right. 
yes. <laughs> and I know that's been happening of late. Yes. Um, and also just, you know, kind of orienting people to, you know, the position that they're taking on and also the APF fund, because once that um, has reached its target of a hundred thousand and it can begin um, giving out monies for projects, you know, I think that will be a wonderful addition to our division because, you know, I realize students in ECPs, there are a lot of things that they want to do where money gets in the way. And mm -hmm. we're hoping mm -hmm. um, that this will make a small dent in changing that. I do want to say for the listeners, and, and Dr. Richardson did not ask for this, but we will put the link to um, the donation link to the APF fund. Uh, okay. Still um, hoping for some more donations so we can we can meet that target. So we can start, you know, meet that $100,000 goal so we can start utilizing those funds. So I will add a link in the show notes of this podcast episode for people Wonderful. who are interested in we certainly would appreciate anything you can contribute. No dollar amount is too small. Um, so thank you. Um, but yeah, those I would also say are pretty major accomplishments. Um, as a leader, or I guess during your, during your term as president, what sort of I guess lessons did you learn as far as leadership or yourself as a leader um, did you, yeah, I'll just, I'll leave it there. Well, I think, first of all, um, I found that managing a, div a division is probably in many ways similar to managing any other group of people. Um, but the difference is when you are a, a leader in a volunteer organization, um, you're more likely to be exposed to having individuals with quite varying levels of commitment and time to devote to their division related activities. Um, and so I think you have to recognize that not everyone will be as devoted as you might be or have the, the amount of time that you might have um, on the various projects of interest to you. Um, and I think like any work group, very important to get the buy-in of the team in terms of any major projects. Um, you know, I think a volunteer organization is no different than any other. Um, you know, they wanna be a part of the process and I think you wanna make sure that um, you do that. Um, and, you know, any major accomplishment um, is going to take a number of individuals to get done. And you know, the president at the time the person is in that office may get the credit, but the president is not the one who's done any given project alone. Um, you know, it's a Hillary Clinton, it does take a village, it really does. Um, I think that having the presidential trio is a great idea. I think you learn a lot from the people who have come before you. And so I think as president-elect sitting in on all those calls, you may or may not have a lot to contribute, but you can certainly learn from your colleagues and they will be a great support to you when you then um, take on the role as president. Um, I think also like any organization, 
you will have unexpected things happen. Um, I think that one of the big surprises I had was I had um, some folks who had taken on major leadership roles in the division who were not able to follow through on their commitments. And, you know, that happens. And so I think you have to be prepared to deal with the unexpected, um, not let it drag you down, but, um, you know, figure out a solution um, and move on. Um, also, and I think the social hour uh, location change is just small, a small example of this. A lot of times when you're contemplating new things for the division, uh, you know, there are no guarantees that what you're um, thinking about is necessarily going to work. And I think sometimes, you know, the EC meetings, there'll be discussions about, well, you know, is this worth the time and effort? And what if it doesn't work and so forth? And I think at some point you just have to be willing to take a chance and also recognize that you're not gonna have 100% success. That some things that you think, or you and the trio think, or maybe you and the EC think are gonna work well, may not work well, or may not work the way you expected. And also um, like as this past 12 plus months has shown us, there can also be unexpected events in the world that can have very mm -hmm. big impacts on you. Now, I can't say that the year I was president that there were huge US and world events that impacted the division. Although sadly, when I was going back and looking at the history of you know, what, what was happening in 2017 and 2018, and just thinking about the events of the last few days. Um, the mass shootings were going on then, and here we're still at that place. And mm -hmm. how sad that is. And I remember our police and public safety section at the time I was president was very concerned about this and was getting involved with some of the initiatives that APA, the larger organization had around gun violence. And that may surface again with what's happened most recently. Um, I think another thing that was going on at the time that got a lot of attention was we became aware of the opioid crisis, which I think those of us who've worked with people with substance use issues probably knew had been around for a long time, but it really came to national attention um, uh, with you know, some of the pharmaceutical companies and so forth um, really pushing um, there are opioid drugs and leading to huge addiction problems around the country. Um, now, while we don't have a section that deals specifically with substance use, I think there probably isn't a, uh, at least a practitioner in our division who has not encountered such. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was mm -hmm. um, another thing. And then of course the whole Me Too movement was really um, getting yeah. up and around. That's right. Um, and again, we're still dealing with that today. So national events do impact. And of course, those are, for the most part, national and international events uh, are not things that you ever can expect or control and yet, you know, have the potential for making a difference um, in what's um, happening uh, within the division. And, you know, I know that 
it's not unusual during a presidential year for the uh, federal advocacy coordinator to send out emails about bills that are coming up in Congress and asking for division endorsement. So that is a way that um, the division does get involved in, in some of these things, but uh, there are other ways um, as well. Um, I also think that there were a lot of projects um, that were begun probably even before I was president elect that are, are ongoing even today. I think sometimes it's very difficult to gauge how long it's going to take um, to roll out a project, make changes. Um, you know, one project that I would like to have seen uh, get done that didn't, but I know it's, it's a huge one is in addition to the division not having had any job descriptions when I became president-elect, it also had no written procedures for conducting any kind of business, whether it was submitting an expense um, to get reimbursed or um, you know, running a meeting or dealing with your um, APA division staffer. I mean, any topic you can name, uh, there was no procedure. So what people did is they often relied on the EC members, the presidential trio members, and, and other past officers of the organization to guide them through. Well, I think that's a great idea, but you know, we're not all gonna live forever. And I think we really need to try to get um, some of that um, in writing. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's a project that past presidents could help out with. Um, that, that, is, that is one thing I have noticed that, you know, once you move out of the presidential trio, I, I don't know that as a division, we have relied on our past presidents as much as we might in terms of, you know, they've uh, been around the block and had some experience that, you know, might be very helpful. Um, to those currently in the thick of things. So, um, you know, that's, I think, something else we might want to consider. That's a really, that's a really good point. And again, one of those things that's not so sexy, but getting policies, procedures written down. So, you know, in case memories get fuzzy or you can't find those minutes from those meetings or someone moves that you can't find them or, you know, um, for relying on that institutional knowledge from, from individuals isn't so reliable. Right. Uh, at the time, you know. Those are all a lot of, um, I guess, really, I guess, major lessons um, that you mentioned as far as um, some kind of having your expectations more realistic as far as um, different, you know, representatives or officers uh, ability or level of commitment or time that they're able mm -hmm. to or, or working, you know, full-time jobs. That's right. It's likely they have family, other right. responsibilities even outside of work. And so, so just being realistic about those kind of, you know, people's demands on people's times, but buy-in from the team always, critical, um, but how important it is to include all, all the voices, because that's what 
executive right. committee and what the members are there for. And um, being supported by the presidential trio and, and just being, I guess, also on the same note as kind of preparing for the unexpected, whatever might be going on in the world, <laughs> still somehow leak into Division 18 because, of course, we're part of the bigger society and that's, you know, our focus. Right. So, right. Um, so, so many things outside of your control, but, um, but certainly, you know, can have an impact on your leadership. For sure. I think also recognizing, you know, I think it's important for leaders to think big, but at the same time to try to, as much as you can, concretize that into specific mm -hmm. action steps that you can take. Because um, you really do need to prioritize. You're, you're going to have many ideas beyond the two initiatives that APA, you know, wants you to have as president. And you know, you can't do everything. And as we've already said, you also don't know what's going to happen during mm -hmm. your year that, that's unexpected. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean, again, you can't think big and dream. So many great, um, great words of advice. And speaking of advice, do you have any advice for those who are seeking leadership in Division 18? Or moving into um, you know higher leadership positions in Division 18. You know, I think um, probably the most important advice I would give is you know get involved. Um, don't be afraid to run for an office, um, even if you've not uh, been involved in the division previously. I mean, I think the best way um, to move into leadership is to get involved, you know, starting with some of the roles that are less time consuming first. Um, and it helps you get to know other division leaders. It helps you get to know sort of what the division is all about and what the various roles entail. Um, and also to find out your own interests in terms of what you would like to do most. I think you will find that uh, people are very warm and welcoming and um, are delighted to have uh, the participation and involvement of anybody, you know, who is willing. So, um, you know, I don't know that in the earlier years of the division, I'm not sure that message got out as well as it might have, um, but I think that's really important that the leadership in the division, you know, make it clear that uh, the division is wide open to people getting involved in leadership. So, don't be afraid to jump in. And you know, you will have supports and don't be afraid to ask when you need them. Absolutely. And final question, what do you see for the future of Division 18? What are your hopes for the future yeah. of Division 18? Now that's a really interesting question. Um, on a very practical note, I think, you know, the journal is just doing fantastically. You know, mm -hmm. its revenues have soared because of the high rate of downloads. You know, the impact factor has improved mm -hmm. greatly. Um, people are paying attention to our journal. And I know one issue that we talked about some that is probably an ongoing issue related to the journal is, you know, should the journal have lots of special issues, small number of special issues, no special issues? 
Well, I think in the last several years, it's had a number of special issues and those have really drawn in leader, readers because they've typically been on topics of great interest to people across divisions. And I think that's been terrific. And I, I hope that that will continue. Um, you know, not every special issue is gonna have uh, a super wide readership depending on what the topic is and you know how general or specific it is but um, it really has I think put our division on the map um, it probably in a way that almost nothing else could have um, the visibility that the journal has given us so I think that's only going to get better and I think related to that you know we want to grow as a division I think one huge challenge that APA as an organization has been facing is you know the average age in APA is surprisingly high. So it's been challenging to attract younger folks to APA, whether they be student members or ECP members. And you know, those groups are our future. So I think that's those are groups that we really want to reach out to and address. I, I know we've become as psychologists highly specialized and that sometimes people feel like their energies are better spent related to their specialization. But um, I still think APA and our division more specifically has a lot to offer folks. So I think that's something we need to be very uh, mindful of. I think also, you know, as I've said before, um, once the APF fund is, is up and running, um, that will be another way to attract um, ECPs and student members because there will be a source of funding for projects well, for anybody, but I think a, a particular uh, benefit um, to them. So I think that will make the division um, very attractive. I'm hoping that we can get back into some in-person meetings, um, because I think in terms of folks getting involved in the division, I think it's sometimes easier when you get to know people informally to then get involved in the division. And I think, you know, our divisions always had a hospitality suite. Mm -hmm. And I think over the years, that has become an extremely active place for all kinds of groups to meet, as well as just to have you know, informal socializing. Um, and I know that I met a lot of people at social hours, um, whether the division social hour or, or through the hospitality suite. And that was really critical in my getting involved. Um, in fact, I think one of my uh, early involvements with a leadership role in the division is I was at a division social hour and I met Mary Jansen, we got to talking. She found out I, my area of interest was serious mental illness. She said, oh, well, why aren't you on the task force for serious mental illness? Well, I'd never even heard of it. So those kinds of, you know, serendipitous events, um, mm -hmm. difference. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm hoping we can get back to at least some in-person activities. Um, Cause I think those informal uh, contacts make a difference. And I think like any organization, relationships matter. Um, you know, whether you're 
a student member, an ECB member, uh, executive committee member, president-elect, president, whatever, um, relationships matter. And I think, you know, Zoom is better than nothing, but in person, at least some of the time, I think is, is very helpful. And I'm very disappointed sitting here in San Diego thinking that APA will probably be virtual and you all won't get to see my great city. That's right. But I don't know, have they made any decision on that yet? I haven't heard anything. To my knowledge, no. So I don't know. I, there was some talk of doing hybrid, but I don't know mm -hmm. if that will happen. Um, anyway, because I know one thing we've tried to do in cities where we had members who live not far from convention sites, we've sometimes tried to have some event at that person's house. And I will yeah. offer up my beachfront patio if we... <laughs> Oh, wow. If we meet in San awesome. Diego. So. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know if it'll pan out this year, but yeah, I'm sure around yeah. your neck of the woods you know, right. in the future. And certainly take you up on it. Well, I can't say it's mine personally. I live in a condo, but. <laughs> well, still, you have access. And it's yeah. awesome. Well, Dr. Richardson, I really appreciate your time and telling us about your presidential year and lessons learned and great leadership advice. Um, and again, I think you'll have some really major, when I think about, well, you never know what someone's legacy will be in, um, but I'm, I'm wishing that APF fund tremendous success because I think it's such forward thinking for you to, to think about how to help support you know, some of our members, especially our students and ECP members with various projects or funds that they need to carry out their mission. So, um, so thank you so much for all your work and continued work, continued service to the division. So thank you. All right, well with that, I will um, say thank you so much uh, to our listeners for tuning in. And be sure to tune in next time for more conversations with former Division 18 presidents. All right, take care, everyone. Bye.